Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. This is a Rogue Media Network podcast. This is 365 Sports, powered by Sikkim365.com. Brandon Marcello, 247 Sports, college football national writer, joins us. Craig Paul, I'm David Smug. Brandon, of all of the decisions made over the weekend, which one was the most surprising to you? Shoo, um... I'm going to be honest with you, nothing really surprised me this weekend. Everything kind of went along the way we were expecting. Um, I guess, to be honest with you, maybe the one surprising thing would be UCLA uh, being quiet Hmm. about what they're going to do there, if anything. Uh, The administration has been quiet with Chip Kelly. They haven't told Chip Kelly or anybody publicly whether they support him going into the next season. And there's still a lot of rumors out there about his job security and whether he's going to be uh, kept around. And I, I think that – I don't think. I, I know uh, from my sourcing that uh, potentially we could hear something here this coming weekend because his buyout there is about to almost be cut in half when the month of December rolls around on the calendar. So important timing there. Yeah, Brandon, it is weird that two weeks ago before the U- USC game – he was a dead man walking. He beats USC. It quiets down. He gets stumped by Cal, of all people, and not a peep. Yeah, lost three of his last four. And the thing is, that's, that's been kind of the, uh, the the problem with Chip Kelly there at UCLA. He'll have a good win and then follow it up with just absolutely stubbing his toe uh, in the dark, making no sense. I mean, they were blown out by Cal. They put up one touchdown against a very bad Arizona State team and lost at home, seventeen to seven. So there's some big issues there, and the you know the administration there uh, and the boosters, I should say, for the most part, aren't very happy with the way he goes about recruiting and interacts with people there at UCLA, and they believe the proof is already in the pudding. He's thirty-four and thirty-four. He's a five hundred coach. He's had more success here the last two to three years, but even that is not necessarily championship-winning football or what a lot of them believe is even going to be mid-tier football in the Big Ten. Brandon, Saturday was a bit wild when it came to that A&M coaching search and an eventual hire. Looked like it was going to be Mark Stoops, and for a little while it, it was, and then it suddenly wasn't. And next thing you know, it's Mike Elko, who as we speak right now is being introduced down in College Station so where do you think about where the Aggies ultimately landed and the path there, uh, sorting through all the noise? Uh, what did you just make of kind of how all that twisted and turned over 24, 48 hours? Yeah, in 48 hours, they landed on the guy that a year ago, a lot of us were saying was going to be the next Texas A&M head coach, mm-hmm. Mike Elko. Um, just makes a lot of sense and maybe should have been the guy that they were going to hire from the get-go instead of leaking out that Mark Stoops was the guy and then everybody revolting against that. Um, I think either one of them would have been great hires, but it's just so fascinating that the 
it was almost like it was a trial balloon thrown up in the air to see how the fans and boosters and the board would react to see if they should, should hire Mark Stoops. But in the end, I think Kentucky is better off. Obviously, I don't think they would have gotten anybody close to Mark Stoops' stature to keep that thing going. I mean, goodness gracious, winning 10 games every few years potentially at a place like Kentucky, man, that's like that's like going to college football playoff every two or three years at Texas A&M. So, um, but Mike Elko, listen, we all know he's very well respected. He's a hell of a coach, a hell of a defensive coach. I'm very interested to see what kind of staff he builds there. Who's he going to keep on staff potentially that was on Fisher's staff? Because obviously he's got a lot of connections to them having previously been there for four years. So um, uh, I think it's going to be uh, the most interesting thing to me is what staff he builds. I, I think he's a good coach and a very good CEO open-minded, willing to be more or less uh, on the cutting edge offensively despite being a defensive guy. I mean, if these, all these defensive coordinators end up becoming head coaches, they become so freaking conservative and terrible as head coaches. Look at Will Muschamp, for example, or even Zach Arnett this previous year at Mississippi State, threw the air raid out and started running this herky-jerky system that was trying to be pro-style and run the ball all the time without the personnel required to run it. Um, but anyway, Mike Elko, great hire, I think. Just a weird, weird 24 hours there. Do you think he can maybe have a Sonny Dykes-like effect on the A&M roster, given that Jimbo uh, had kind of become uh, grumpy, to, to put it mildly? <laughs> well, I think Jimbo was grumpy, but he's always been stubborn. And that was his undoing. I mean, he's been stubborn since Florida State. And, I mean, there was a reason why when he left there, people were kind of happy, even despite winning a national championship just a couple years earlier. Um, And it's funny you mentioned Sonny Dykes because we were starting to hear his name come up a little bit more uh, in those hours after the Mark Stoops stuff um, about a potential name being thrown in the ring there at Texas A&M. But, um, yes, I think so. I think that's a very good comparison. And I think that's why, in a lot of ways, you saw Mark Stoops' name come up and then Mike Elko. These are guys that are just coaches. These are great coaches and great CEOs that know how to build rosters, know how to uh, uh, hand out power to the different coordinators and coaches on his team and empower them to do their jobs and do it the best way they can. Jimbo Fisher wasn't that guy. He was a micromanager to the T. Um, very unorganized as a result because he's spreading himself so thin. And I, I think that not only hurt Texas A&M, but I think that hurt even Florida State there in his late goings there. There's a reason why that roster was starting to kind of crumble underneath him a little bit. And I think a lot of that had to do with his own organizational skills. Right, a pretty brutal stretch here over the past couple of weeks for Oregon State football. Jonathan Smith, head coach, now heading to Michigan State. Uh, your thoughts on... Uh, the Spartans and the move that they were finally able to make with Jonathan Smith and also obviously the collateral damage that, that brings with uh, the Beavers as well. Yeah, that, that those discussions have been going on for quite some time. In fact, Mike Elko's name came up there a little bit, and the reason why it cooled down was because Jonathan Smith was getting everything, and his agent was getting everything kind of hammered out there here the last week or two. Um, he's another one of those guys, just a ball coach. You know, these aren't names. Jonathan Smith, Mike Elko, these aren't like Nick Saban or even Jimbo Fisher, like these flashy names. These are just great coaches. Jonathan Smith went into an Oregon State program, his alma mater, 
and got it back going by getting some great coaches, building great depth along the offensive line, and having great in-game coaching. You watch these games. He always seemingly had them in the fourth quarter in games that maybe they shouldn't have been in previous years. And then once he started building up talent and developing it and recruiting, those games started becoming wins for them. And they started at Oregon State being so much better as the season went along. His best teams were being played in November, and that's the sign of a fantastic coach. And um, uh, what a what a hire for Michigan State. But what, what a sad day for Oregon State. I don't think we're talking enough about them. I mean, your conference is, is folding. You're losing your head coach that's brought you to some good, good heights there. And by the way, he, he played quarterback for you. Your own blood said, I'm not sticking around for this. That's got to be absolutely debilitating. I can't say I blame him, though. I mean, it's hard. Like, you can't give him any answers. Like, who are we going to play next year? We'll see. Uh, you know, all those things just to me, if you have options, you got to you got to think about you, Brandon. Uh, to Mississippi State and Jeff Levy, a guy we got to know well when he was here uh, at Baylor. Uh, when he was here, I kind of always thought he was going to be an assistant for life kind of a guy. Um, and then after that, you know, he started building the resume at UCF and then Ole Miss and then Oklahoma and now to Mississippi State. Is this the right guy for Starkville? We'll see. They've been going more along the lines of getting coordinators um, in most of their hires other than Mike Leach here uh, and over the last decade plus, including Dan Mullen. And they needed an offensive guy. I mean, I think, you know, every head coaching gig, seemingly, they go the opposite way. You know, uh, Mike Leach's tragic passing happens. They elevate the defensive coordinator, Zach Ardat. That was a complete freaking failure. Um, just terrible coaching. And he, I think he did a disservice to that staff and also the players there with the talent they had. That should have been a bowl team this year. Um, and then they go get, let's go get some offensive firepower back in here. We got to play a different brand of football to be successful at Mississippi State. And Jeff Levy fits that. He's also a, a great personality. He's someone's going to invigorate that fan base. He's also got a very good relationship with Lane Kiffin. The two of them are already going back and forth at each other. Uh, on Twitter. So that's going to ignite that Egg Bowl rivalry, which is very personal and also just crazy, guys. It's one of the craziest rivalries out there about how personal it gets, but also just how weird it gets day by day by day. And um, I can't wait to see what he does there. Um, was it a great hire? I, I don't know. I, I think it's a good hire. Um, I, I do wonder, like, what kind of staff he's going to be able to build there with the resources they have. But you know, Mississippi State can win. They can get the bowl games there, and they can challenge and be an eight- or nine-win team every few years because um, I think it's very underrated, the recruiting in that state, and also how they dip into Louisiana there for a lot of success. That's what Dan Mullen did. It's what Mike Leach was able to do, and I think it's a pretty good job and a pretty good hire. Brandon, I just got no ESPN just reporting that Blake Shapin has entered the tra- or will enter the transfer portal. Baylor quarterback, of course, they're getting ready to hire a new offensive coordinator. They have a lot of tight ends on their roster, a lot of them freshmen and sophomore. They've run the wide zone. Aranda liked it because he thought it was hard to defend. What are yeah. your thoughts about an offensive coordinator? Anybody that just jumps out top of your mind? To be honest, you know, um, and I wonder. 
you can't keep just firing coordinators every year or two and think that's a problem, right? Yep, yep. And, I'm, and I'm sure I'm sure you guys have discussed that too. And, and it bothers me a little bit because I really love Dave, and I think he's a great guy and a great coach. But th- this turnover and trying to pass the buck a little bit worries me a little bit. And to be quite honest with you, I don't know or even have an inkling of what kind of offensive coordinator he would want to go after at this point. I like Jeff Grimes. I do. I don't know what the fans there at Baylor think. I know it was a terrible year this year. I still believe in the guy. I mean, heck, his name was coming up to me in the coaching carousel last year about potential being a head coach very soon. Um, And you don't just cool off overnight like that. So I don't know what direction Baylor goes, guys. What, what, What do you think? I I think that they can't go full spread unless they're committed to, you know, like reshaping the roster. But somewhere in between the wide zone and and the full on air raid, Brandon. They've also at least what you've heard. What our guys who cover this pretty intently on the on the website is that they want somebody who has been a head coach or has that kind of experience, which could low you know could lessen the number of who you talk to because Aranda is going to spend so much of his time now where he should be in the first place doing more on defense. Man, that's an interesting criteria, and it really narrows things down for you, too, yep. when you're looking for someone who may have got head coaching experience. And also, make, what makes things difficult, and I'll be honest with you, I'm going to compare the OC job there, Baylor, to uh, the OC job that's now open in Arkansas. Are you dealing with potentially a lame duck head coach mm-hmm. who would take a job there as an OC knowing that they're probably going to be out in a year and you're going to hurt your own career? That's a very difficult position to be in if you're trying to hire an OC. Brandon, was there much chatter in, in your conversations just in, in terms of the carousel about the possibility of Baylor opening to begin with? I mean, did you ever hear much scuttlebutt about that? Because I'm just trying to gauge what sort of an interest level there there may have been, but I know we didn't really get that far down the pathway. We were on high alert the, the last three weeks here uh, at 24-7 Sports about the possibility there. Uh, very much so like at Houston. Um, we thought Houston was in a much hotter situation, but we were kind of in that in that sitting stay on standby mode. Uh, there was really three jobs out there where we were kind of going, we don't quite know, but it potentially could happen. It was Houston, it was Baylor, and now UCLA, which we're still waiting on at this moment. Um, but uh, I will say this, credit to Baylor and Mac Rhodes for being quick to, to hammer all that out and go, listen, he's not going anywhere. We're going to refocus and get things going here because the worst thing you could do, especially going into this week, right before the transfer portal yep. and before your players meet for your end-of-year meeting and you have all your exit interviews and you start evaluating the roster again, is to have this chatter hanging over. And so credit to Mac Rhodes and them for getting that out of the way. Too many ADs let this stuff hover. And I think, to me, it's the wrong way to do things. And it hurts your roster, hurts the players, and really hurts you when the transfer portal opens up here in less than a week. Brandon, thank you for your time uh, and insight. Brandon Marcello, 247 Sports on everything from what Baylor's doing. Uh, the story about Blake Shapin, we'll discuss that. Houston, Mississippi State with Levy. Uh, what A&M's done with Elko. And now the Blake Shapin news, not surprised. That does not even, like, I didn't even blink when I saw Paul, you showed that to me. I just mentioned and, it, like, yeah, 20 minutes ago. Yeah. I mentioned that well, he might not even be here, and yeah. five minutes later he's in the transfer portal. This has been a Rogue Media Network production.